0: section three from the tower window of my book house this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit LibriVox.org. from the tower window of my book house edited by olive bupre miller una and the red cross knight retold from book one of the fairy queen by edmund spencer part two at length it chanced the wicked archimago having by his art taken upon himself the form and outward appearance of the red cross knight set out to seek fair una and once more have power of her he came upon her as she journeyed with the lion but so well he had disguised himself that she mistook him for her long-lost knight and joyed full innocently to find him once again with fair words and good reasons for his desertion he set her thoughts at rest and so they journeyed on together in gladsome talk one to another but as they journeyed there bore down on them in sudden charge sans third brother of sansfoy who seeing here the arms of that same red cross knight who slew sansfoy thought to take vengeance for the deed full loath was archimago faint with fear to meet the charge yet by presence of the lady he was pricked thereto and in battle array did meet Sansloy, the lawless one only to fall sore wounded by the Paynims spear then had that been the end of archimago had not Sons Loy unlaced his helmet and to his surprise disclosed to una and himself that here was no good red cross knight but that hoary-headed miscreant archimago whom he knew right well leaving the foul enchanter on the ground he turned him then to seize fair una plucking her full rudely from her ass seeing his sovereign dame so roughly handled that true and loyal servant her lion sprang fiercely on sans alas strong as he was he could not stand against the paynim sword the saracen with lifted blade pierced through that brave and faithful heart the lion fell then Sansloy seized the helpless maid and bore her will or nil away upon his courser her prayers availing naught so was poor una of every aid bereft helpless in the power of that wild lawless knight Nought could she do but scream for piteously what wit of mortal wight could now devise to save a maid in such a case but eternal providence far-passing thought can make a way where none appears a wondrous way it wrought to save this lady true far away within the wood a troop of fauns and satyrs were dancing in a round while old sylvanus who was their king slept in a shady arbour gay rustic wild wood folk were these with horns upon their foreheads and shaggy legs of goats it chanced that in their sylvan games they heard the maiden's piteous shrieks in haste they forsook their rural merriment and ran towards the spot whence came that cry and when the raging saracen loy beheld that rude misshapen monstrous rabble rushing toward him whose like he never saw before he durst not bide but got upon his ready steed and flew away then fawns and satyrs all stood still astonished at the beauty and the woeful plight of una who still affrighted at their appearance dared neither speak nor move perceiving her fear those rustic folk moved with pity of her helpless state and wonder at her beauty Gan first to smile in gentleness and then fell prostrate at her feet she guessing thus their friendly humble hearts felt reassured and let them lead her thence joyous as birds they went dancing shouting singing strewing her way with green branches and crowning her with garlands and all the way their merry pipes they sound that all the woods with doubled echo ring and with their horned feet do they wear the ground leaping like wanton kids in pleasant spring so towards old sylvanus they her bring an old man was sylvanus girdled with ivy leaves and leaning on a cypress staff when he beheld that lady una the flower of faith and beauty he scarce could think her mortal but deemed she must be some goddess then came the wood-nymphs too fair hammered dryads to behold her grace and from the brooks and streams the naiads water-nymphs henceforth the satyrs thought none but una fair and wondering at her beauty ere long they fell upon their knees and worshipped her as goddess of the wood so was fair una safe among that kindly savage race yet could she take no joy at finding herself the image of idolatries but plied her gentle wit to teach those simple creatures truth and show them how vain it was to look on her as source of sovereign power divine her words were useless when she did at last restrain their bootless zeal from worshipping her they only bowed before her ass and made of it a god now while she stayed among these friendly folk fair una's wits were ever at work devising how she might escape and once more set forth to seek the red cross knight it fortuned at length a noble warlike knight sir satyrain by name came to that wood for he was kin to those strange woodland creatures worn by her heavenly wisdom and fair beauty he on a day when all the satyrs were gone to do their service to sylvanus helped her once more mounted on her ass, to make her way beyond the forest and to the highway once again yet they were but a short way on their journey when once more they came upon sansloy and sir Satyrain at once fell into combat with that paynim full furiously they fought but when sansloy perceived the lovely una whom he late had in his power he left the conflict to pursue her sir satyrane stayed his flight and drew him once more into conflict but una sore afraid of that unruly saracen fled far away meantime the red cross knight fleeing from the palace of pride had been once more overtaken by duessa false, still calling herself idessa faithful and true she found him dismounted in a green and shady glade beside a bubbling fountain he feeds upon the cooling shade and bears his sweaty forehead in the breathing wind which through the trembling leaves full gently plays wherein the cheerful birds of sundry kind do chant sweet music to delight his mind the which approaching gan him fairly greet and with reproach of carelessness unkind upbraid for leaving her in place unmeet with foul words tempering fair sour gall with honey sweet and so once more deluded and deceived that foolish red-cross knight did take her as his lady true together they lingered in that pleasant spot and dallied slothfully but alas as false duessa knew full well the fountain by which they sat that tempted them thus to slothful dalliance was enchanted with a spell so that whoever drank thereof lost all his strength and manly force and yet she never stayed the night with telling what she knew when he lay down upon the brink and drank of that clear crystal stream as soon his manly force began to fail and he grew weak as water yet still he gave no hint of what he felt but paid his foolish idle court to fools Duessa. at length he heard loud bellowing through the wood a fearful sound and ere he could don his armour or seize his shield a monstrous enemy came stalking in his sight a hideous giant horrible and so high he seemed to fret the very skies beneath his feet the ground did groan for dread and in his hand he bore as weapon a shaggy oak torn by its root from out the earth orgolio was the giant's name his mother was the earth his father aeolus that blustering god of wind and all puffed up with blustering boastfulness he seemed when he espied the knight he gan advance with dreadful fury and huge force who hopeless hapless sought to array himself to battle yet all disarmed and eke so faint he was he scarce could stand the giant's stroke fell merciless and had the knight not leapt aside he had been surely slain but though he was not stricken of the blow yet did the very wind it raised have power to overthrow the knight and hurl him senseless to the ground there he did lie at mercy of the giant but false duessa begged orgoglio that he spare his enemy's life make him his slave and take her for his dame orgoglio thereunto agreeing took up the senseless knight bore him to his castle and cast him into his deepest dungeon duessa he took even as she begged to be his dame he gave her gold and purple to wear and for to make her more dreaded of men he gave her a steed to ride upon a monstrous beast with seven great heads its scales of iron and brass and its foul tail so long that it could reach the very stars cast those sacred things to earth and trample them beneath its feet the woeful dwarf when thus he saw his master fall took up his arms his silver shield and spear and fled away he had not travelled far when he did come at last on una fleeing from the lawless son's lois clutch much it rued the dwarf to tell his mistress all the tale of what had chanced to her dear knight and much it rued fair una to hear yet still she was resolved never to stay from going forward and alive or dead to find her knight high over hills and low adown the dale she wandered many a wood and measured many a vale at last she chanced to meet a goodly knight marching by the way together with his squire his glittering armor shone from far and across his breast he wore a baldric shining with precious stones his sword was buckled with a golden thong its sheath of ivory curiously carved its hilt of burnished gold its handle bright with mother of pearl his golden helmet was surmounted by a dragon with golden wings and over all waved high a bunch of vari-colored hairs sprinkled with pearls and gold his warlike shield was closely covered from sight and might never be seen of mortal eyes for it was made of diamond dazzling pure and clean and ached so hard that no spear-point could ever pierce it no magic arts against that shield had any power but all that was not truly as it seemed to sight faded and fell before it When, as this knight by name prince arthur drew near to una he greeted her full courteously but from her answers loath, he saw some secret sorrow troubled her thus with kind words and gentle he won her to tell him all her woeful tale and hearing how her knight lay languishing in a dungeon in power of that huge giant orgolio he bade her be of cheer and he vowed he would not forsake her in her need until he had acquitted her captive knight thus they two fared forth together with the dwarf their guide and so they came unto orgolio's castle there the noble knight alighted from his steed and bade the lady stay to see what fortune should befall him in the fight so with his squire he marched forward to the castle wall but the gates they found fast shut and no warder was there to guard the same nor was there any answer to their calls then the squire took up a little horn that hung at his side by a rope of twisted gold with gayest tassels it was a wondrous horn for three miles round its blast was heard and no enchantments or deceits could stand before it no gate was so strong no lock so firm and fast but that before that piercing noise it flew wide open before the giant's gate prince arthur's squire now blew that horn all the castle quaked upon the ground and every door sprang open the giant himself dallying with duessa in a flowery bower was sore dismayed and came rushing forth duessa following high mounted on her beast whose every head did flame with fiery tongue when the knight beheld orgoglio approach he flew fiercely toward him orgoglio lifting up his dreadful club all armed with ragged snubs and knots thought to have slain him with a single blow but weary arthur leapt aside so that the mighty mace missing its mark embedded itself within the earth and while the giant bending struggled to free the encumbered club prince arthur with his shining blade clove off his left arm so that the giant roared and bellowed with rage and pain then came duessa rushing with her beast to the defence of orgoglio ramping and threatening all his heads like flaming brands he came but arthur's squire did meet him with his single sword and like a bulwark stood fending that beast off from his lord then false duessa full of wrath took from a golden cup which she still bore from working magic arts a secret poison that she sprinkled on the squire so that his strength and courage fled and he fell helpless to the ground when the good knight saw his beloved squire fallen at the mercy of that cruel beast he left orgoglio and turned to save the squire with his stout blade he smote one of the monster's heads and clove it to the teeth thereat the creature ramped and scourged the empty air with his long tail and would have cast his rider from his back had not the giant come to succour her with all the force of his two arms now joined in one he raised his club and smote prince arthur on the shield so that he held him to the ground yet in his fall the veil that covered his blazing shield was rent asunder and lo such dazzling brightness smote the giant's eyes he let his arm fall down that he had raised to slay the knight and likewise that foul beast was blinded by the light and tumbled to the earth to yield him conquered in answer to Duessa's screams Orgolio sought once more to raise his mace it was in vain in the flashing beams of that bright shield he had no power to strike nor to defend and so prince arthur slew him but when the breath was gone from out that blustering boastful giant his huge great body shrunk and shrivelled up and vanished quite and of that monstrous mass was nothing left save like an empty bladder when the false duessa saw her champion fall she sought to flee away but that light-footed squire gave chase and brought her back as prisoner to his lord the lovely una having seen all this from far came hurrying up to greet the victor then prince arthur entered without delay into the castle none but a doting old porter most ignorant and infirm stood there to bar his passage and so he passed him by and made his way through all the length and breadth of that rich castle nowhere did he find the red cross knight until he came at last unto a fast locked door wherein there was a little grate through this he called to know if there was any living white within therewith a hollow dreary voice made answer with a piteous plaint then filled with pity and with horror the champion rent asunder the iron door with furious force he entered in but found no floor beneath his feet instead he dimly saw a deep descent as dark as hell from whence a baneful smell breathed forth but neither darkness filthy bands nor noisome smells could withhold arthur from his purpose pure with constant zeal and boldest courage he found the means to lift the prisoner up although the thighs of that good red cross knight had grown so feeble from his long durance in that hole that he could little help himself his sad dull eyes deep sunk in hollow pits could scarce endure the light his cheeks were thin and bare his arms raw-boned that once had been so strong yet when his lady saw him once again whom she had sought so long despite his dolorous look she flew to him with hasty joy and cried welcome my lord in weal or woe then arthur showed him where his foe lay dead and that false dame stood conquered who had been the root of all his woes now it is in your power quoth he to let her live or die it were a shame quoth una to avenge ourselves on one so weak slay her not but despoil her of her robe and let her fly so they stripped the witch of all her royal robes and ornaments and jewels and when she stood despoiled of all this outward show their eyes beheld her truly as she was a loathly, wrinkled hag ill-favoured fearsome old her gums all toothless and her head quite bald she had a fox's tail and monstrous feet one like an eagle's claw one like a bear such then, said Una, as she seemeth here, such is the face of falsehood, such the sight of foul duessa when her borrow's light is laid away and counterfeiting known. Thus unmasked, and knowing all men saw her as she was, the false witch fled to the wilderness to hide her shame in rocks and caves. But Una and the two knights abode for a space within the castle to rest themselves. Then those two knights, swore true friendship to one another and parted to go their several ways una and her knight set forth once more to rescue una's parents from the dragon yet sooner down the long white road they saw come galloping toward them fast a knight dishevelled pale his hair on end for horror about his neck he wore a hempen rope and seemed to flee as if in terror of some fearsome thing scarce could the red cross knight prevail on him to stay and tell his tale he fled he said from an old man who had met him and a friend of his returning from a quest whereon they had not met success and that old man had spoken first with honey words but later subtly cunningly he argued that they two were good for naught, could never be happy nor honourable nor good could never achieve aught great or useful in the world And so might better die ere they knew it the wily words of that old man had filled their souls with such despair that one of these poor knights had seized a knife and slain himself while he who fled with staring eyes had even had the rope about his neck to hang himself when from the evil enchantment of those words he broke away and fled when the red cross knight heard this he cried that he would meet this sorcerer that gave out poison of despair ere long they came upon a dark and doleful cave beneath a craggy cliff whereon there sat a ghastly owl all about stood sticks and stumps of trees without a single leaf whereon many a man had hanged himself for sheer despair within the cave they found a cursed man in rags sitting upon the ground full sadly musing his long grey locks hung all disordered over his rounded shoulders and hid his face but through that wild entanglement his eyes shone deadly dull. Beside him lay the knight who had slain himself with a knife for hearkening to the old man's words. The Red Cross knight rushed forward full of zeal to do that old man punishment for such a deed, but, or he laid his hand upon him, the old man began to speak. With evil-charmed words he brought before the knight all the evils of this mortal life—fear, sickness, death, old age loss labor sorrow strife pain hunger cold till one had thought his deed was good to leave the knight now dead to take away out of such miseries sadly too he began to mind the red cross knight of all the sins that he himself had done how he had deserted his faithful dame for a false witch and lived in pride and sloth all barren of deeds of good and to suggest that he who had wandered so far from righteousness could never find the way of right again nor ever dare to hope for aught but everlasting wrath from god so might he better die far better die ere he knew it those poisoned words of despair took full possession of the knight's bewildered mind he saw himself hopeless altogether and worthy of naught but everlasting punishment by righteous sentence of the almighty's law so when that hideous old man made offer to him of a dagger he seized it from him and lifted his hand to plunge it in his breast but una clear-eyed and undeceived snatched from his hand the dagger fie fie faint-hearted knight she cried is this the way thou doest battle with the dragon and savest my imprisoned parents let not vain words and devilish thought dismay thy constant spirit why shouldst thou despair who can most confidently expect to share in heavenly mercies though god be just yet eke with him his grace to save men from their wickedness arise sir knight arise and leave this cursed place so up he rose and straightway mounted on his steed and rode away leaving that old man so enraged by his escape he took a rope and hanged himself but alas many a man that boasts of mighty prowess and strength of arms and many victories in battlefields, all so soon as he doth come to fight against spiritual foes doth yield and like a coward fly so this red cross knight who stood against the fiercest outward foes but lamely fought to despair within his heart and una perceiving this how weak in body and soul he was led him to an ancient house not far away that there he might recover through companionship and aid of those pure men and women who dwelt therein the home was governed by wisdom of a matron named dame Celia, whose only joy was doing deeds of good and she had three most lovely daughters fidelia speranza and cherisa arrived at her door una and her knight found it fast locked but they had no sooner knocked than it was opened and with all due gentleness and humility a porter bade them enter lo they had to bend their heads to pass for straight and narrow was the way which he did show but when they had once entered through the narrow gate they saw a broad and spacious court plain and yet pleasant to be walked in a squire of rare courtesy yet simple and sincere withal led them to the lady of the place she had been at her prayers but rose and greeted una joyously for well she knew the true and faithful maid then in her modest guise she bade the red cross knight warm welcome and entertained them both with all sweet courtesies so that naught was wanting to show her bounteous and wise thus as they began to talk together lo two most goodly virgins came into the hall linked arm in arm in lovely wise and walking with even steps at equal pace their countenances were demure and full of modest grace the eldest of these fidelia was arrayed all in lily-white and her face like crystal shone with sunny beams while all about her head gleamed rays of light in her right hand she bore a golden cup filled to the brim with water and wine and in her left hand she held a book both signed and sealed with blood her younger sister speranza was clad in blue and on her arm a silver anchor lay whereon she leaned and her steadfast glance was ever upward nor swerved any other way these greeted una and her knights full kindly and when their weary limbs had been that night refreshed with kindly sleep una besought fidelia to teach the red cross knight her heavenly wisdom that she might save him from his dark despair and so the shining maid opened his dull eyes that he might see and understand and disclosed unto him every wit that in her sacred book was writ with words of blood which none could read except she taught them she taught him of god of grace of justice of free will and how by faith men find the power to move great mountains from their places and eke the power to part the mighty floods in twain and walk dry-shod through midst of seas in little space the night was much improved through teaching of that maid of light yet by her very light did he see but more clearly all the wickedness of his past ways which grieved him still so sore he wished to die then came speranza with her steadfast upward gaze and gave him hope sweet hope and firm assurance that it was not even now too late to redeem the evil he had done with works of good yet must he ere his heart could quite be purged and healed repent in sackcloth and in ashes for his sins but when through repentance prayer and patience he was once more whole and ready to go forth into the world again fair una led him to dame celia's third and loveliest daughter charissa a woman in her freshest age of wondrous beauty and rare bounty whose like it was not easy to find on earth upon her head she wore a tire of gold adorned with richest gems and she was sitting in an ivory chair a pair of turtle doves perched by her side about her arms her breast her chair there hung a multitude of babes playing their sports that filled her full of joy to see and ever she fed these little ones while they were weak and young and cared for them in tenderest wise till they were of an age to keep themselves when then she thrust them forth this bounteous tender beaming dame the knight and una greeted and bade her joy of all her happy brood then una besought the fair charissa to school her knight in those sweet virtues she knew best charissa was right joyous in this request and in her gracious tender way made known unto the knight the joys of heavenly charity and all things good of love and righteousness and well to done and wrath and hatred warily to shun and when she had filled that good night full of love benevolence and good-will she called to her an aged dame known for her great mercy unto men and bade her guide his weak and faltering steps along the straight and narrow path that leads to heaven for goodly matron bore him by the hand along a way made rough by thorns and ragged briars but ever she removed obstructions from his path that nothing might stay his advance and ever that he might not go astray she held him fast and bore him up as firmly as a careful nurse her child they rested at the hospice of the seven good beadmen on their journey that gave loving aid to all in need and of their goodness gained much inspiration and so they came at last to a high high hill both steep and eek surpassing high atop of which a sacred chapel stood and near thereto a little hermitage where an aged man did dwell that had retired from worldly cares and spent his days and nights in devotion and deep and holy contemplation of god and goodness was his meditation hardly up to his great height could the red cross knight have climbed had not that dame of mercy upborne his steps and helped him on there they do find that goodly aged sire with snowy locks adown his shoulders shed as hoary frost with spangles doth attire the mossy branches of an oak half dead little that old man cared for meat and drink whose mind was full of spiritual repast and when first the knight and dame interrupted his meditations he was scarce willing to lay his heavenly thoughts aside but learning from the dame how they had climbed that tedious height that he might show this night the way to heaven which he alone could do he made promise to reveal that wondrous path that never leads the travellers astray but brings them after their long labour joyous rest and endless bliss first for a season fast and pray he said to purify thy spirit and when the knight had fasted well and prayed the old man led him to the highest pinnacle of his high mount of meditation from thence far off he unto him did show a little path that was both steep and long which to a goodly city led his view whose walls and towers were builded high and strong of pearl and precious stone that earthly tongue cannot describe nor wit of man can tell too high a ditty for my simple song the city of the great king hight it well wherein eternal peace and happiness doth dwell new jerusalem the old man called the city's name which god hath built for those to dwell in that are purged of sin which when he saw how beautiful it was and full of light and joy the knight cried out oh let me not again turn back unto the world whose joys are all so fruitless let me go straight unto that city and rest there for ever in peace the old man shook his head and thus addressed the knight not yet may that be first thou must do thy work on earth here canst thou but have the vision of the place go slay the dragon Set the maiden's parents free and lo men shall call thee for thy deed a saint, saint George, when thou hast steadfastly performed all thy labours upon earth, then and not until then doth that city there await thee. Go dazzled by the light of all that heavenly glory, the red cross knight could see the earthly things but dark and dim below. Yet did he find his way back to the faithful Una and now well purged of sin his heart rejoicing full of faith and hope of charity and mercy and in his thoughts high visions of that life of joy to win that life that man can never see but from the highest mount of contemplation he bade farewell to celia and her daughters and with una fared forth upon his way once more Eft they came upon the brazen tower where that old king and queen were held in durance by the dragon and all at once they heard a hideous roaring sound and on the sunny side of a great hill they saw the monster when the dreadful beast espied the gleam of armour half flying and half footing he drew near his largeness casting much wide shadow under his huge wings he reared his monstrous body swollen with wrath and armed with brazen scales his long tail wound in hundred folds overspread his back and at its point it bore two deadly stings his cruel jaws were sharp exceeding steel his horrible wide gaping jaws had three rows of iron teeth and from his gorge came issuing a cloud of smothering smoke his blazing eyes like two bright shining shields burned with wrath and sparkled living fire the knight couched his spear and made at him fiercely but no lance could pierce that brazen hide the beast turned swift about and with his tail swept horse and rider to the ground both lightly rose again and the knight rained such good blows upon those brazen scales that though no stroke could pierce they so enraged the beast he mounted in the air and stooping low snatched up both horse and rider in his talons yet that strong knight so struggled in his grasp he was constrained at last to drop him to the ground where laying three men's strength unto the stroke the knight then struck a blow that glanced his scaly neck but made a piercing wound beneath his wing as raging seas are wont to roar beneath the wintry storms so roared the monster flames of fire he threw forth from his nostrils blow after blow the good knight dealt him but those flames of fire piercing the good knight's armor singed his flesh and in such heat faint and full weary worn out with toil and wounds he could not hold his own but was by that foul dragon's tail hurled deep into a well that lay behind his back then truly the dragon deemed the victory won and with expanded breast and mighty clapping of his iron wings proclaimed himself the victor yet all night long the faithful una watched and prayed and when the morning came behold the red cross knight sprang from that well with strength renewed for that was none other than the well of life with wondrous virtue to recover health and strength amazed at the sight of him his foe whom he had thought quite vanquished the dragon stood in doubt the knight then dealt his crest so sore a blow it cleft the skull loud yelling the beast towered up and bore the knight to earth then with his sting he pierced his shield and struck his shoulder where that vile sting stuck fast nor could be got thereout the good knight raised his blade and cleft the monster's tail in twain leaving but the stump in his shoulder breathing then furious flames the dragon seized the good knight's shield in his fierce claws nor could his grasp be loosened till the knight rained on him such a storm of blows that he loosed one claw to defend himself when the knight smiting with might and main clean hewed off the other claw then such a storm of fire the beast sent forth he made the knight retire and wearied with the fray the good knight lost his footing in the mire and fell again thus as before the dragon left the fray deeming himself the victor and thus as before the gentle una spent the night in prayer but the knight had fallen now beside the tree whence flowed a trickling stream of balm that gave him life and strength as had the well of life and when the morning came once more he rose and addressed him to the battle when a second time the dragon saw him appear whom he thought dead he waxed dismayed yet still he advanced with wonted rage opening wide his jaws to swallow him at once adown that gaping mouth the good knight plunged his sword and pierced his throat and then at last the dragon fell like some huge cliff whose false foundations have been washed away by waves he fell he fell down dead and all the earth did groan for shock of his great fall then una came praised god and thanked her faithful knight for his great victory and from the walls of that old castle the watchman who had seen the dragon's fall ran to proclaim the news unto his lord and that old king in joy bade open wide the castle gate which had been shut so long and proclaimed joy and peace throughout the land then triumphant trumpets sounded the victory and all the people flocked to meet the victor and to do him honor forth came the ancient king and queen arrayed in antique robes and sober garments amid a noble crowd of sages and of peers before them all there marched a band of tall young men with laurel boughs and in their wake all dancing in a row a crew of comely virgins came with garlands of fresh flowers and tinkling timbrels in their hands, while little children, making wanton sport with childish mirth, sang to the music of the timbrels, and made music all the way. Last, after all, there ran in disarray the rude and rascal rabblement so they crowned fair una with a garland and laid their laurel boughs at the good knights feet the whiles that hoary king greeted his saviour with a thousand thanks and princely gifts of ivory and of gold and after he and his good queen had held their daughter in a warm embrace they led the two into their palace with sweet music of shawms and trumpets and of clarions while all the people strewed the streets before them with costly robes and richest garments in their joy what needs it to tell more of the goodly feast that followed in which was nothing riotous or vain at length that good old king when he had heard the story of the red cross knight declared that he should have his only daughter una for his dame and that fair lady who had retired into her chamber came forth again into the hall her mourning weeds all laid away that she had worn so long Bright as the morning star she beamed, as fair and fresh as freshest flower in May. And she was clad in lily white that seemed like silk and silver woven into one. And so the king gave Una to her knight, and thus in happiness did end that long and toilsome quest. End of section three. Recording by Marisol